Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. Our next guest is an expert on programming, on strategy, on television, on digital media, media strategy. Like, we've all become experts, I think, in the last year and a half, or so-called experts on media rights. But we're experts in the same way that, like, we're all experts when it comes to curling in the Olympics, right? We never, we haven't worked in it, we haven't lived it, we haven't competed in it. This guy has Patrick Crakes. He's terrific on all this stuff. Knows what he's talking about. Knows what he's doing. Consults with multiple entities. Crakes Media. Former U.S. Army veteran. Patrick Crakes joining us now. Thank you for your service, by the way, Patrick. Uh, you're welcome, John. I appreciate it. Country always gave me back 10x what I put into it, so I'm grateful for the country. What made you join the United States Army? Let's start there, and then we'll jump into the uh, the media stuff. Well, I come from a long, um, a long military family. A tradition on both sides of the family uh, actually stretches back to the Revolutionary War. Um, so um, at 17, I, I graduated high school very, very young. Um, my senior year, I was a typical athlete making okay grades. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And my father, who was a full colonel in the Air Force Reserves at the time, um, wasn't really having a lot of that. So he he suggested joining the Army as an enlisted man. And all my ancestors, all my immediate family, my grandfathers, my great-grandfathers, all officers, um, that really appealed to me, actually. And, and so I ended up uh, in the Army. I ended up in the 82nd Airborne Division. Um, and, uh, that was really great for me because it was like an extension of playing high school athletics in many ways. Um, I, I think basic training, I was really prepared for it because I had gone through so many August football practices and, um, I came out of there three and three years later and I kind of knew what I wanted to do and I went off to college and then, um, I went, uh, out to California, got a job in the studio mailroom at Fox after a year of trying and started my media career. I also went back to officer candidate school eventually and got my reserve commission. So I did, I did get that squared away. So that's kind of why I ended up there. And it turned out being a great, great decision for me because it let me uh, mature a little bit and uh, just let me just kind of be right for a while, right? And breathe, let it breathe, as they say. John. I love that. Patrick Crakes is with us, expert in media, consultant, media executive. Um, give me an idea. Let's start here with the Disney Fox Warner Brothers bundle that was floated out there. How, what it, what is it going to look like? What what was your reaction when you saw that? Well, I wasn't I wasn't very surprised. I but jokingly calling it the Ghidra bundle um, <laughs> after the Japanese monster, um, because it really is. Um, it, it... I think we lost Patrick there. We're going to grab him back here. We're going to put him on hold, and uh, we'll grab him there. I also think um, I want to ask him about that Warner Brothers Disney. Mm-hmm. Bundle. I want to ask him about the Oregon State and Washington State quest to put their football games together. I think it's interesting. And this Blazers thing kind of blew up yesterday on social media with, um, with uh, you know the the Blazers media numbers not looking good. Their local TV numbers are terrible. And I want to know 
how that is going to impact the franchise or what they should be thinking about. All right, we got Patrick. Uh, give me an idea. When you're talking about the uh, bundle, we lost you right around uh, you know, when you started to go off on that. Yeah, so look, um, the truth of the matter is is that um, the old pay TV bundle is atrophying, but it still pays all the bills. And the new streaming system, um, um, which everybody thought was going to kind of replace it, isn't replacing it. It's, it's, it's really kind of economically really, really um, kind of ruinous in some ways. Uh, and so um, in September, we had a reset of the terms of negotiation between the distributor, a big tribute, distributor charter, which is Spectrum which is in, in the Pacific Northwest, and Disney. And it was kind of recognition of, of, of that kind of objective truth, right, that everybody's going to have to stay together somehow and that, that this atrophying pay TV bundle that pays all the bills, uh, everybody's got to work together to kind of try to preserve those economics while they figure out streaming. And then we come to today, right, where um, for a while the whole Zeke guys in the business was, look, you want to own all your content, you want to go direct to consumer, you want to uh, cut out, quote, the middleman, uh, you want to do it yourself. But that's all been so really unprofitable because it doesn't scale. There's no pricing power. Remember in the old bundle, you bought the stuff you wanted, but you also took a bunch of stuff you didn't want. And that's a lot like bundling at McDonald's and bundling for your insurance and bundling for everything. It all works like that, right? You take some stuff you don't want, or you take more of something you don't want. Doing it on your own eliminates that. So what's basically happened with Disney and Fox and um Warner Brothers is that they decided to start trying to figure out how to rebundle on the digital side. The problem for it is, John, is the old bundle was so great that um, you know it had everything in it. This bundle was a, a great idea and probably a good first start of figuring out what bundling will look like on the digital side, but um, it's uh, it doesn't have everything, and that's a problem when it comes to sports because people tend to be college football fans, not a type of college football or a conference, right? You may be a conference fan, but you'll think about a Saturday morning where everything's in one place. Um, people tend to be general market fans. They want all the sports. So this is a great first step. I wasn't surprised by it, but at the same time, it's just kind of a, you know, it's just like a, it's a rest stop on a mile marker on a road that uh, we've got some more, more miles to travel. Help us out with the Blazers' woes. The NBA releases, or excuse me, Sports Business Journal took a look at the NBA local television ratings year over year. Blazers are down 49%. Some of that is Root. Root is That Root deal has been hard for fans. Not everyone can get it. Some of it is the product's not good. Damian Lillard's gone. Team's got 15 wins. Um, you know, what would you say to the Blazers as they think about their television local TV deal moving forward and and, you know, we see a team like the Suns or the Utah Jazz looking at free over-the-air programming on their local um, or the local market. What's the trend yeah. there, and what would you say to the Blazers, Patrick? Well, I think um, when we talk about the pay TV bundle breaking down and needing new forms of bundles on the digital side, uh, the, the RSNs are kind of great examples because uh, they only exist because of, of, of what I call established pay TV bundles. Prior to 20. Prior to 2000, not every local game in every market for the three RSN leagues, MLB, NHL, and, and the NBA, were available for everybody. As a matter of fact, it wasn't until 2000. Most of your sports were completely available inside a pay TV bundle. Everybody's gotten used to that, but that's not what the historical norm was. So these RSNs came into existence because of bundling. Um, they were important to a small uh, but but very, very passionate fan base, and they were reason, top three reason to have a pay TV bundle for some important customers. And so um, everybody from Fox 
to Comcast began to create RSNs and launch them, and they were very valuable for a while. Um, when I left Fox, the RSN business was at a, what we call 50% of B2DOM margin. That's unheard of. Enormously profitable, throwing off, throwing off about $2 billion in cash every year. Uh, that's not what's going on today. These margins have gone down to 15% because the number of subscribers has gone down, even though the pricing for the channel's gone up. And um, the, the problem is, is that all the three RSN leagues depend heavily on the local media rights that are generated totally by these regional sports networks. And as I said earlier, there's no peer elected streaming. No streaming DTC product for the Blazers is going to replace uh, or probably even come close to replacing what they get from Root Sports. So the Blazers are kind of in a bit of a pickle, as are all the other teams, right? And we see it with the Diamond Sports bankruptcy where the rights fees are being negotiated down. Um, and that has a strategic implication and problem in that all these teams have their budgets set. You know, for some local teams, um, like the Dodgers or the Yankees, they're going to figure all of this out and they're going to be fine. For others, like the Kansas City Royals or, 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 or the Portland Trailblazers, you know, in some cases these local rights are 20% of their, of their revenue. They're very, very important. I think when it comes to baseball, which is, you know, uh, you know, they're the most valuable RSN because they have those inventory in games. I think, you know, of the $12.5 billion baseball makes local media is $2.5 billion of that. And probably a significant portion of that, 50% of it's threatened because of cord cutting and not being able to figure out this balance between letting everybody see you and getting paid what you were supposed to be pay, getting paid, right? So there's going to be a period of adjustment. What I would suggest for the Blazers is they try to avoid what the Suns and the Jazz and others are going through because while, um, you know, they're on a broadcast affiliate, the devil's in the details with broadcast affiliates these days, the signal goes out to the entire market, John, but this isn't 1995. The truth of the matter is there's about um, 120-some-odd million or you know, uh, uh, TV homes in the United States, and 30 million-plus of them are what we call broadband-only homes. They, they uh, have no ability to receive or don't have broadcast signal, and they have, do not have a traditional pay TV bundle, whether one that comes from a cable in the household or a DBS satellite or a digital one like a Hulu Live or something like that. Those folks are out of the system, and broadcast doesn't reach them. So the effective reach of broadcast is still greater than traditional pay TV, probably by about 10 million homes, but it's – it's it's not it's not it's going down and it's never been as effective. So when you go from a pay TV channel like your RSN to a broadcast network, you're not reaching the entire DMA, not even close. And you're still dependent upon pay TV bundles to deliver your signal because most viewing to broadcast channels, even though it is available over the air, still comes from pay TV bundles. And third, you're not going to get paid. All right. So, um, you know, you know it's, 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 it's a real problem. So my advice to them is to try to avoid that as best as possible. The real solution is probably rights fees have to be renegotiated in some way, John. Either you add term or you figure out a way to reduce them. And you're probably going to have to take some kind of tiering. The question is, what does the tier look like you go to? And I go back to that Charter-Disney deal. Charter has rejiggered their, quote, sports tier. Um, and um, now it sits there with the league channels and some other things. It's more value. They changed the pricing on it. That's what I talk about, like, the three-headed monster is kind of a – these are all mile markers on a road that's very, you know, to a destination we can't really kind of figure out. But it, it does involve one thing, adjustments in costs to reflect the reduction in revenue from kind of the utility-like 
elimination of the pay TV bundle for something that looks more marketplace competitive, which is going to impact rights fees in some way, unevenly, for all the sports leagues. Help me out with this, because... You know, when I think about this, Patrick, I am thinking about it. I'm coming at it as a media member and a fan. And I feel like there are a lot of young sports fans who have not regularly seen the Trailblazers on television because for the last 10 to 15 years, their local TV package has been a mess. They have not been available regularly to people over the air. Um, They had a Comcast issue with it not being available everywhere. Now they have a root issue where they've placed it on the premium tier and it's not available to everybody and the team's not very good, so there's not a bunch of motivation for people to buy that tier. What is the impact long-term when you don't connect regularly with your fan base? Um, well, I, I think I think it's a problem. I mean, and I think everybody understands it. Uh, that's why reach is still important. That's why... You you know now that everyone understands that if you do go behind a, some kind of increment you know some kind of streaming payroll you really in, you really interrupt reach and the pay TV bundle was really great for reach because it got into 90 plus percent of all U.S. TV homes I mean that's I tried to find for a client an example of a business that was as good as the pay TV bundle that was used by everybody and I came up with Standard Oil. 100 you know 100 years ago um, it was really ambiguous. And everybody got that, and it was a ton of reach. Um, and you do need it to develop um, y- your brand positioning and sell tickets and worry about all the other things a team has to do besides their media. Um, the, the challenge is, is that reach is becoming more complicated uh, due to the fractionalization of media distribution, as I talked about. Broadcasts theoretically can reach everyone, but it doesn't because a certain percentage of people have just opted out of being available for it. So how you balance all of this is really important. It's why direct-to-consumer, you know, um, saying that uh, the future is the, the Portland Trailblazers going direct-to-consumer, uh, you know, that's going to take down their reach significantly. Um, and and you have to balance any kind of economics you might get from that, which we've learned are harder to get, uh, with, with that loss in reach. So it's, it, it looks a lot like a hybrid, I think. Yeah. John, we're in this – the big problem is we're in this transition phase where – um, on a national level, you kind of see what the what the media networks are doing. They're they're building digital platforms that are complementary to the pay TV the best they can, and they're acquiring content with the right to put it across all the platforms, and they're moving dials around. That's making things harder to find. It's making things more expensive, and it's forcing consumers to make choice, and that's disrupting everything, as we kind of talked about a little earlier. But I think it's the future, right? I think what the future looks like, John, um, is is you're going to cost more to get the content you want, but you're going to have more choice. But because you're going to have more choice, you're not going to get everything. Right. And, and I think, how leagues, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about it like from a Blazers standpoint, how are they going to create diehard fans if there's a generation of kids who have never seen them play? And and I think a lot. If you went to the season ticket holders in the arena right now, you would find people who either grew up going to the games or saw the team and really feel connected to the team. And you know, this is my team. I'm from Portland. I watched this. I grew up with the Clyde Drexler era. I grew up with you know, and Brandon Roy, Lamarcus Aldridge were playing. And and but now I think we have a generation of kids who are like, I haven't seen a game. I and I wonder how that you know, or is it going to be like horse racing where one day there's nobody at the track? And you know, you, and but we have a huge demand because 
there's all this wagering demand. Like one day, are we going to see arenas that teams are okay having them at half full or third full because they're just they're getting all that digital money? Yeah, I, I just I just I think the problem is is that they're not going to be okay with it, John, because the digital money isn't what folks think it is. Yeah. Right. If you look at the digital economics, everybody thinks Amazon or Google, but think about how Google makes their money. Ninety percent of it all still comes from search. Um, and they have a near monopoly on it. On the digital side, if you don't have a near monopoly of something that allows you to scale, you kind of most of the businesses you know, the, the consumer does really well with it. Uber's a fantastic service. It took them nine years to post any kind of profit, and in the process, they lost $44 billion. If you think about it, you know, Disney Plus is a great service, but um, especially if you bundle it, but over the past two and a half years, it's lost nearly $3 billion. Um, great service. People who have it like it, uh, but you can't make money on it. So, you know, look, the solution is to go forward is some kind of new definition of reach. And, and I think that when you look at the experiential economy, which was disintermediated heavily by COVID, obviously, right? Things like live events still matter a lot. And it's the experience, though. I ran the consumer research group when I was at Fox for 20 years. And I can tell you that the experience inside the stadiums and ballparks matters an awful lot in building fans. And going back to the idea that everything was on TV prior to 2000, it really wasn't. So fans were developed, John. Um, but, you know, you're going to have to start taking a different approach because some of the things that everyone took for granted, which was everyone sees me, is going away. And yeah. making it easier for the consumer to find the games when they are on somewhere like we talked about a mix, maybe some of it's broadcast, maybe some of it's pay TV, maybe some of it's streaming, right? Um, but it's not everything in an easy place, like that old pay TV bundle, one bill, turn it on, everything's there. Started kind of noon, which used a lot of guys with ESPN, and work around the clock, right? That's over. But you, we're going to have to relearn on the sports side um, how to manage for that. Um, and, and part of that process is going to be expensive, which is why it's putting all this pressure on the system economically. Um, and don't look for Amazon and Apple to bail people out. Um, they're not doing that, and they're, I don't think they are going to do it, because they themselves, regardless of how much money they spend, I mean, they're experimenting. Amazon spends tens of billions of dollars experimenting all the time. Just ask Bill Gates about his health insurance initiative with them. Patrick Craig's with us, media executive, consultant, Patrick, let me ask you before I cut you loose. Oregon State and Washington State have 13 football games, home games, that they are shopping around currently. They, they're telling me that they're talking to a number of partners and they're really weighing exposure versus revenue. Uh, and could they sell them all a cart? Could they sell them to one entity? Um, you know, Oregon State, for example, has got Oregon at home. That's a high-profile game. They have a game against Purdue that's not bad. Um, Washington State's got a Texas Tech game at home. What would you advise Oregon State and Washington State to do with that, those 13 football games? Well, I think that they, you know, they probably need to coordinate a couple different packages. Um, the ones with the highest national appeal are, are, should go in one package, right, and should get national distribution. And then they should kind of have a B package and a C package if they can make it work right. They try to sell the B and C together, but be prepared to just say, look – 
we want this for our A package, which are these couple of national profile games. And by by we want, I mean distribution balance with economics. And I and and I know Bob has told you he says uh, uh, distribution. He's exactly right because he usually is. Well, he almost always is. Uh, and um, and um, uh, so it's distribution. The economics will flow from that as well. When it comes to the B and C packages, I mean, it's going to be a negotiation. I think that it's going to be hard with the broadcast television networks to get the kind of distribution they may want, um, because one of the reasons why the Pac-12 got in kind of the trouble it got after the realignment of SC and UCLA was that the shelf space was getting pretty tough on the high-reach platforms, right? So one of the good things that has happened is the station groups that were created to take advantage of pay TV bundle retransmission fees, um, you know, are in getting involved in distributing sports. And I think that probably there's some opportunities with them there to go with a station group um, who, who like a like a Nexstar with CW, which is owned by Nexstar, has a bunch of sports. They have ACC package. They're going to be doing Xfinity races from NASCAR next year or yeah, in 2025. You know, there's there's an opportunity with them or Scripps or some of the other large station groups to get broadcast television exposure, which is mostly pay TV, but also outside of it, right? And um, and and put these games on the best platforms they can for reach, and and work out an economic deal, John, that probably involves some kind of revenue sharing or something like that. But try to stay relevant by being available. And then they're going to have to kind of do what everybody else is is uh, is read and react, I guess to how the marketplace develops because we obviously have a, a few more things to go through before we even, even we even know what the college football playoffs is going to look like, even though I'm pretty sure it's going to be completely controlled by ESPN. It's the nature of the terms of that that matter, which are happening this week. I love all of this. It's way in the weeds, but we, uh, we love being in the weeds talking about this stuff. Patrick Crakes, thank you. We'll get you back on. I appreciate you bearing with us, and thank you for your grace. Absolutely, John. Uh, you guys have a good evening. Thanks for having me. There he is from the East Coast, media consultant. We're going to talk about the Blazers TV deal. So I need some feedback and some help from you as an audience member. Blazers local ratings down 49%. Tell me why you're not watching. Is it because it's on route and it's uh, because on Xfinity it's a higher tier package? you got to pay for it and you don't think it's worth it. Is it because you struggle to find it? Is it because Damian Lillard's gone? Is it because the team's not very good? Is it because you're just over the Blazers? Tell me what it's about for you if you're not watching or if you are. 503-417-7575. Why are the Blazers ratings down 49%? You help me out here. I feel like today's show's been a little clunky. I don't know if you've picked up on it as a listener, and I'm not going to blame President's Day and all the presidents we celebrated yesterday. I just feel like it's been a little clunky. Hour one, I had a little glitch because in hour one, segment three, I started to do something and I took too long. We didn't get all the punch and audio done. And then we had the guest on to start the four o'clock hour. I loved the guest. I thought he was great. This is not his fault. I think I didn't do a good job of really being specific and asking him some questions. I think he got a little in the weeds. I don't know if if you were following everything he was following, but, man, it was inside, inside, inside baseball on media rights, and I think it was fascinating, probably fascinating for a lot of you, and probably some of you going, I don't know what I'm listening to, as uh, Patrick Crakes was talking about it, but um, that's on me. i got to be better. Anna's in the studio. I'm going to try to be better here, okay? 
I say, why not blame the presidents? <laughs> Do you know who the shortest president in history was? Stephen, do you know? Anna, do you know? Shortest U.S. president by height in history might surprise you. I, Abraham Lincoln's the tallest. Go on, Stephen. I don't know. I I can Google it really quickly, but no, I, don't Google okay, it. I well, think no, it's. No. Uh, we just. I I think it's James Madison. It is right? James Madison. This feels recent. That well we done. Discussed this. The girls were talking about it at breakfast this yeah. morning. Seven-year-old, nine-year-old. Yeah. Gaking out on it, literally. S- James Madison. Five foot four. Wow. Yeah. Shortest president in history. By two inches. Yeah, like that. Yep. Abraham Lincoln, six four, posting that guy up, James Madison. Um there I'm gonna give presidential facts throughout the show. But in the meantime, <laughs> I wanna get to uh, <laughs> You know President's Day is over. Yeah, but I missed it. Uh, we weren't on air. <laughs> okay. So. We're gonna make up for it today. President's Day. And by the way, some states, Anna, yes. only celebrate George Washington's birthday as President's Day. Others are more inclusive, saying we're celebrating all the presidents. Like them or love them, hate them, whatever. We're going to celebrate them all. Like Virginia, where he was born. Yeah. Right? And a couple other states. I think New York is one of those as well that says Mm. it's Washington's birthday. How about that? Not President's Day. I told the girls on the way to school something I heard about presidents. Supposedly, Abraham Lincoln like comes up in your conversation or just your mind space at some point every day whether it's you see him on a five dollar bill is he on the five dollar bill and then (laughs) no i don't think he is um or you see him on the penny i know he's on the penny (laughs) you're here for a history lesson listener i know you are yeah yeah it is he is on the five i was thinking jefferson okay sorry my bad okay um and but like whether whether it's the civil rights uh, you know, the abolishment of slavery, shows the Civil many, War. Shows you how many $5 bills I've been looking at lately. Lincoln Memorial. Supposedly, that dude comes up in your conscience almost on a daily basis. Interesting. If you pay attention That's, to it. I could have done without that being planted in my head because now I'm, You're going welcome. To, I'm going to think about him every day. All right. Now, this is what I want to talk about here. Okay. okay. Can I get this back on the rails? Blazers TV ratings, Sports Business Journal came out, showed the TV ratings for all the NBA teams. By the way, um, like 17 of the team's ratings are up. They only measured 27 of them because Nielsen ratings are only available for 27 markets. Okay. So um, 17 of the 27 up. Some of them up significantly, like the Minnesota Timberwolves, Phoenix Suns, uh, Denver Nuggets. That makes sense. Blazers ratings had the worst decline, the steepest decline of any NBA team, down 49% year over year. I'm asking people to call in and say why, and a whole bunch of people have called in to say why. We're going to put them on air now. But I want you to think, Anna, from a media standpoint, why aren't people watching the Blazers? Is it the Root TV deal? Too hard to follow them. Is it Damian Lillard's gone? Is it um, is it that uh, the product's just not good? It's a 15-win team. Is it some exhaustion with the Blazers? Is it something else? Only you out there listening to the show can answer. So there's no wrong answer. Why aren't you watching the Blazers locally is the question. 503-417-7575. Bruce in Portland, lead us off, Bruce. Uh, first of all, thanks for all those useful facts on presidents, but I'll – log in my useful fact <laughs> file and use somewhere sometime but uh mm-hmm. hey um uh, root sports 
because they got rid of it right before the season starts, as you well know. You know, Comcast comes out with the announcement, oh, Roots no longer part of our package. You know, you can get it for six ninety nine extra per month. And it's like, okay, well, that's not going to happen. And the fact that, you know, they haven't been very good doesn't inspire anybody to go out now to purchase that package. You know, if they would have been, if they were a contender or something this year, I bet, I'm sure viewership would be better. But uh, it, that, that interview definitely got into the weeds. You know, I was able to follow yes. about half of it. I'm a numbers guy, you know. And it's like, holy smokes, you know. I have to go back and listen to that again. I don't know why the Blazers or some of these other sports franchises don't do what the Timbers did last year, you know, when MLS went to Apple TV. And the Timbers offered every season ticket holder a one-year subscription and then four guest invites. So you, I, as a season ticket holder, can invite four of my friends to also subscribe and watch the Timbers mm-hmm. last year for free. Um, nice. A whole year of it, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, obviously, they're going to start charging again this year, but uh, I, it's unfortunate. I think pay per view is the future, um, and they, like that guy said, you got to figure out how to balance viewership with revenue and and access. It's a, it's going to be it's it's the future, so it's here yeah. to stay. Unfortunately, yeah. well, some teams like the Phoenix Suns because they're regional sports network, and the Utah Jazz because their regional sports network had problems. Um, they have decided, hey, we're going to just go free over the air. We're going to go locally free over the air. We're going to be widely available. We're going to connect with people. I hope the Blazers go in that direction because I do think it was dirty for Root Sports right before the season to be all of a sudden like, hey, this is going into a higher-tier package, and you're going to have to upgrade if you want to see the Blazers. They did it right before the – two days before the season. Dirty. Dirty. And that turns some people off, I'm sure. Eric's in Klamath Falls, listening on 9.60 a.m. Eric, welcome. Thanks, John. First time, long time. And Bruce hit the nail on the head. Basically, nobody wants to pay that much money for what is sadly a mediocre Portland Trailblazers team this year. I think if they did go the Phoenix Suns route with the young guys, Simons, Sharp, Scoot Henderson, they'd be exciting to watch. That viewership would go way up. But, you know, the sports deal, all the hoops you got to jump through to watch Blazers basketball it's just not worth it right now outside of nationally televised games yeah not worth the, the the 20 bucks extra or whatever they're charging for the package it's a great point um i think the product sucks too it's not a good product it stinks i shouldn't say sucks because that's too harsh it stinks it's not the fault of the players on the roster it's not the fault really of the gm i think the blazers this roster is not very good and I think it was a hand that was dealt to Joe Cronin. It was a hand that was dealt to Chauncey Billups. And I think putting it on route, making it more expensive at the same time where the product is diminishing, it's like saying, McDonald's saying, hey, we're going to raise the price of the burger. We're going to make you have to work harder to get it. And by the way, it's not going to be as good. And I think a lot of people would be like, yeah, I'm okay, I'm, I'm out, I'm going somewhere else. And I think that's kind of what's happening. 503-417-7575. You tell me, why aren't you watching the Blazers? Bob is in Milwaukee. Bob, go ahead. Hey, John. I think it's a lot of what the other you guys have mentioned with the Root Sports uh, pricing going up and the Blazers not being any good. But I think it's also we don't have an invested owner. We have a woman who just wants to be received there on this cash cow and feed her pockets. So she doesn't. Inv- uh, we don't have an owner who invests in making the Blazers what they used to be under Paul Allen. Love that. You want to see an owner who's vested. An owner's got 
some skin in the game. Jody Allen, it doesn't matter if the Blazers, the caller's right, Like it doesn't matter if the Blazers lose money or make money. Jody Allen doesn't own the team. She's just here as a trustee collecting a management fee, some estimate to be around $20 million a year, to manage her brother's estate. Includes the Seahawks, includes the Blazers. Doesn't matter if these teams win or lose or make money or lose money. Um, I do think they're a little rudderless, and I think that is a problem. Sean is in Sandy, Oregon. Sean, go ahead. Weigh in. Hey, John. Uh, a lot of people have cut cords. Uh, and I, I was always watching, just a few years ago, we were watching Blazers on NBC. You know, we didn't have to pay for anything. Most of the games were on free television. Uh, then they went to root, and then now you gotta you, know, you gotta uh, stream it, whatever you do. And they just made it hard, and the economy is terrible. You know, the economy is terrible. Everyone's saving money. Look at gas prices, everything else. We're not paying for watch sports no more. Not too many people want to do that. You got to be pretty hardcore. I'd rather just listen on the radio and and uh, read in the newspaper. Just uh, look online. I look up the references. I look at the numbers on that. I'll just listen on the radio, brother. Have a great yeah, day. Appreciate that. Let's kick this around. I worry that there are a generation. There's a generation of fans who are going to grow up saying, "I never really saw the team play," and they're going to be less connected. Like I hear from people who are Blazer fans through and through who said, "I w- I watched this team regularly in 1977, 78, 76. I I fell in love." I hear people say, "I watched this team in the 80s and the 90s." I fell in love. I hear people say, I got to see Brandon Roy's rookie season, LaMarcus Aldridge, 2007. I fell in love. I wonder if there are going to be kids who go, I really didn't get to see him play, but gosh, I watched a lot of the national broadcasts, and I saw the Suns play and the Lakers play a lot, and that's why I'm a Suns fan or a Lakers fan. I don't know. Am I in left field here? Steven, you watch the games. You're a diehard. Uh, yes, I do. The funny part about that is, is at the studio, we have Root Sports, but a lot of times they get put on Root Sports Plus because the Kraken are on, and I have no idea what channel that is. I have to Google it every single time I try to turn to that channel. Uh, so that is a problem one. I, but I do think the biggest problem, John, is the fact that they aren't good. Because this team, even though they aren't good this year, and you can kind of fudge the numbers of saying what the attendance is, they're still 14th in the NBA in attendance, according to you know certain numbers you look at. So I do think that this market supports the Blazers, no matter what. There's always going to be a baseline of people that are going to support this, and there's a lot of but, people. But I think do your do. eyes tell you they're, like, they're reporting 18,000 fans at the arena? You've been to the arena. Are you looking around and seeing a mostly full arena? Uh, no, it's definitely not that. But I do think it's full. There's certain nights where it's fuller than I think it would be. As for a team that is this bad and not this good. And so I do think it's all about winning. I think if this team next season, if they start out the season well and they are a solid team and they're competing for the playoffs, Moda Center is going to be packed again and people are going to be watching again. And I understand a lot of the uh, this kind of stuff that you know that going against it, but... I do think as long as the Portland Trailblazers put out a winner, there's going to be a lot of people that support this team, and I think people will start watching it. I think that's the biggest reason. The Root Sports TV package doesn't help the fact that it's not on YouTube TV. Like I used to have YouTube TV because the Blazers were on Comcast Sportsnet, and that and YouTube TV had that. Then they got rid of it and went to Root Sports, 
well, YouTube TV doesn't have Root Sports, so we got rid of Root YouTube TV. Now I just have to stream the game, uh, quote, you know, maybe illegally, but maybe I do that, and that's what I do to usually watch the games. Yeah. So yep. you find a way. Yeah, you find a way, but I, I think it is the fact it's a little bit of the Root Sports thing that you can't get it on YouTube TV because I think a lot of younger people have YouTube TV or they have you know one of those uh, st streaming platform. And then I also think it's just the fact that they aren't very good. Like if they're good, people are going to find a way to get the Blazers, and they'll pay a little extra money, I think, to watch on TV. I disagree with that because I feel like their success or lack thereof is only one factor. I think what is wrong is that the Blazers organization has forgotten that their success is whether they have a relationship with their fans. I don't think there's any relationship with their fans. I think the fans feel, mm. I know how I feel. I consider myself a fan of the Blazers, and I, I've never felt more disconnected to this team and to the people who are on it than I do right now. Why is that? Because I uh, was, it's a, it's a combination of things. I am, I feel disenfranchised by everything that's happened with the whole Jody Allen thing. I don't believe in them as, a, as an organization with everything that I've known and read about how she operates it's just not an entity that I feel good supporting and wanting, you know, to spend a bunch of money to go see the games in person or even, like, go through the effort of buying the service to watch them on television. And sure, yeah, if they were red hot, of course there would be a part of me that would be like, hey, we should really pay attention and, you know, check these games out and watch them because as a Portlander, I feel like it's almost an obligation. Like, I grew up in this city. If there's a professional team here i want to in some way be supportive of it but that's just not where i'm at you, and i, I was gonna ask you, did you feel that way when they had damien lillard on the team because you say you feel disconnected were you connected when dame was on the team but i was Paul more was connected i was more connected um but yeah i mean that took a lot of the wind out of the sails for me um i just think that it's ironic that social media is as prevalent as it is right now and yet I don't feel like I really know these players at all. And yeah. it's the same advice that I give as a media coach to other sports teams that are, that are, you know, they ask, well, how do we get coverage? How do we get fans to our games? You have to let the fans know who these players are, maybe a little bit outside of the basketball they're playing on the court. Like, help me want to care about the people that are on this team. And guess what? I will ride and die with the team if I care about the people that are playing on it. 503-417-7575. Weigh in on the topic. Do you feel connected to the Blazers? Why aren't you watching them? Blazers TV ratings locally down 49. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Baltimore. Hey, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but... If you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.